In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Betches Media presents... Chrissy Teigen referred to Donald Trump as a pussy-ass bitch. Look, he's a sick puppy. He, he, shouldn't be, he shouldn't be there. Well, I lost half a day of skiing. I'm going to punch him out and I'm going to go to jail. I'm going to be happy. The Betches Sub Podcast. A speaker has not been elected. Hello, this is the Betches Sub Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. I'm Amanda Duberman, a news director at Betches. I'm Elise Morales, a comedian, and not, for the last next 24 hours, writer of the Betches Sub Newsletter. And I'm Millie Tamaris, comedian, and maybe probably sub video contributor. <laughs> oh, what, a, what an intro. What an intro. Here we are. We have found ourselves at the last Betches Sub episode with the three of us. The last I can't believe supper. It. The last supper. I can't believe it. I'm disassociating. If it feels like any of us aren't, if it feels like I'm not um, conveying the proper emotions, it's because I'm just suppressing them. Mm-hmm. They will They will come out. We have had lots of lovely chats and time to reflect among the three of us about what incredible journey it has been. Today's episode is a little unusual. First, uh, Elise and I are going to react to last night's GOP debate. And then Millie is going to join us for the rest of the show, which will be a segment where we're just going to reflect on the last three years of the podcast. Just talk about some of the wild shit that has happened, how we've unpacked it, and some of our some of our favorite moments. All right, Elise and I are here to unpack the second GOP debate. I Ugh. I in probably like close to 10 years have maybe never missed a live debate, like watching it live. And you know what? I think I picked a good one. I think I picked a good one. <laughs> I just I said this before we logged on, but this was a nothing burger of a debate. Like absolutely, I I, I got extremely <laughs> you bored. <look> mad. <laughs> I'm pissed. I watched it. This was my last one. I was like, you guys couldn't even bring it at all. It was boring. Not even for Elise Morales. Disrespectful. Disrespectful. It was disrespectful to my time and the years that I've spent watching these fuckers <laughs> debate. That for the last one, they couldn't even like mess up on the walkout or like the best we got was Donald Duck. No. At least I haven't really gotten like emotional about the end of this, but now I am just like the idea of that. I'm like, these fuckers couldn't even top it off. <laughs> they couldn't with, even with bring it for me. <laughs> they couldn't oh. even bring it for me. It's really, it was really boring. Oh my God. It was God. really boring. There was one point where I definitely zoned out and I was looking at other stuff on Twitter <laughs> And then I zoned back in and Nikki Haley and Tim Scott were yelling about curtains. I was like, oh, what God. is fucking happening here? Yeah, I, the the words I saw the most were crosstalk, which just sounded terrible. So let me tell you how awful it was. Like, I watched this. I did watch the whole thing. I am a professional uh, on the tra- on a train back from D.C. this morning on 2X speed. And that that was an experience. That was a lot. That was an auditory no, assault. Ron DeSantis on 2X, I don't love. No, no. There's actually some interesting coded messages. If you, you know. 
when I came out, I I couldn't watch it last night. When I came out of the event, came out of the event, I was at the first headline I read was quote Mike Pence made a sex joke during the GOP debate and it fell flat. And you know what we've been saying. Our guy Mike Pence has like been been kind of delivering with the improv, but he had an off night. Yeah, I think all of the jokes fell extremely flat last night. Like it was not an audience. It was not a comedy audience. I don't know who was the warm up comic or whatever, but th- this audience was cold. And none of the jokes were landing at all in a way that was like really painful. Eek, really. Eek. Who would be a good warm up comic for the GOP debate? For a GOP debate, a lot of them oh. are auditioning for it. Like sometimes Dave Chappelle is acting like he wants it to be him. They would they would be lucky to get him. I feel like it would have to be like that guy who does the puppets, the guy with yeah, the racist no. puppets. Absolutely him. <laughs> He's probably done it. He's probably done it. Other other uh, words bandied about, bandied about this morning to describe this debate were mess, boring, and a giant waste of time. Like Elise said, they talked about TikToks and curtains more than they talked about abortion. Like people timed this and checked. So we'll yeah. go through some of some of the candidates. Ron DeSantis. Like I I read like before I watched it, there were I watched like the reactions first, and people were like, you know, he didn't talk at all in the beginning, and then he had kind of a strong second half. But I saw no takeaways. Like there's no like. In the Ron DeSantis takeaway section, there's really nothing. There really isn't anything. And, like, I don't even know what they would, like, mean by a strong second half. Like, he did (laughs) nothing. It's at the point where I'm like, you got to take him out of the middle. (laughs) He's in the middle there. And it's like, there's no, there's no, he hasn't. He's got to get to the middle. He cannot be first middle. Yeah. Yeah. He's not, yeah, he's not giving middle. Like, well, somebody who was, I, I mean, I think we'll just let that, let, let Ron DeSantis go there. I mean, we'll sort of circle back to Trump and like who's vying for second, but the person who, who was really vying for her, her seat in the middle was Nikki Haley. She had another strong performance and, you know, for people that, that appreciate <laughs> her perspective, she got it across, I think pretty, pretty clearly and precisely. Uh, she had that funny moment where she said she gets dumber and dumber every time Vivek Ramaswamy speaks. Uh, which is smart because he seems to be becoming increasingly irksome to a lot of viewers. I feel like there was a moment before people really got to know him and saw him in a debate where people felt like he was sort of the like, the like cool outsider um, who who was like a, the, the the disruptor. And then people saw him last time and were like, "This guy's annoying. He's scary." Mm. Like, and I really mean like he he talks up there like like a villain politician mm. talks. Like he's mm. really giving creepy crawler up there he's Um, like a black mirror politician yes yes oh my god siri just activated the (laughs) that's really funny um okay yes i i said this last debate it held true he sounds like he's about to announce the purge like Mm -hmm. he sounds like Mm -hmm. the president in the purge and he's like and that's why for one day every year all crime will be legal and it's like whoa dude like He's just. Um, he would say that after the thing he said. Like, he said a disgusting thing about trans people. He said, like, yeah. being transgender is a mental health issue. Well, and also, Fox News knew what they were doing by going to Vivek Ramaswamy on the trans question. Like, he mm-hmm. got that question. And I'm like, this is not a guy who's like ever run a school or been in charge of anything. Like, there's a lot of. I feel like that question could have gone to Ron DeSantis because Ron DeSantis has done a lot in that area. <laughs> Doug Burgum really shouldn't be there, but it could have gone to him. Like, 
people who have actually run states and school systems should have gotten that question, Mm -hmm. but they gave it to Vivek Ramaswamy because they Mm -hmm. knew that he would say the most fucked up shit possible. And he did. And good for them. There was hate speech on their debate. So Mm -hmm. congratulations. You got it. Yeah. They got what they, they accomplished their, their goal, got their deliverable for their, for their clients. So Nikki Haley, again, she had a strong performance. She seemed to, you know, hold a different opinion though of Vivek Ramaswamy when she wrote the blurb for his book. If you pick up a copy of Woke Inc., which I don't think our listeners are, but if you if you were to, you might find a copy of Nikki Haley's words on the back celebrating Ramaswamy's, quote, combination of honesty, intellect, and foresight, which are exactly what we need to overcome our challenges in the years ahead. But homegirl has changed her tune, evidently. Uh, I feel like the hardest anyone really hit Nikki Haley, but let me know what you saw was, was Tim Scott, who accused her of spending $50,000 on curtains while ambassador to the UN. This was hard to watch. Haley's defense, this is so stupid. This is so stupid. Haley's defense was that actually Obama bought the curtains. And then Tim Scott was like, well, why didn't you send them back? It's like, that's not really how exchanges work, sir. Why would you send back the curtains? <laughs> send your, back what? five-year-old curtains. Also, like the $50,000 has been spent. You're not like, it's not like the tax payers are going to get the money. Like now you're actually just buying even more curtains. Yeah. The thing is, I think these two really like each other. They're both Republicans from South Carolina who I'm not going to call them moderate. I'm never going to call a Republican that again. But they like are the ones on the stage who are vying for the the sane people to support them. So I feel like this is one where it's like maybe that's – I mean they came for each other pretty hard. But like he was like, I don't want to be too harsh. So let's just come for the curtains. Yeah, but I think it made him look really silly because it's like, what are, what the hell are you talking about? And she could be like, you're really reaching, man. And it's like, yeah, he does seem like he's reaching because this is weird. And now people are yelling about curtains and this is like not even something anyone's ever heard of. I don't know if this is like a talking point that maybe more Republicans would have heard about the curtain thing. But I'm just like, what the hell is this? They're trying to replicate the the magic of tan suit and it will simply never happen. That's no. an interesting – like, I mean, obviously we were joking at the beginning that we feel disrespected by the quality of this debate. But like, you know, people who genuinely wanted to tune in to learn more about the candidates, do you think that they were annoyed too? Like, you can't help but be yeah, like unsatisfied I mean, with that. But they're, they're Trumpers, I, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's hard for me to, like, figure out what a person who's watching the Republican debate because they are genuinely, like, I don't know which Republican I want to vote for, what their, like, headspace is. But I definitely don't think that this debate would have been helpful just for the sheer thing that not- the candidates actually didn't really disagree on anything. And no one really put forward anything specific to like put them above the pack like they all just were like yeah we actually think it's good abortion is illegal yeah we actually think everyone should have a gun yeah uh we're against the striking auto workers for some reason and um we think trans kids' parents should be notified. And, like, they're just literally, um, uh, apart from Ukraine, that was the only issue where there was any break in what any of them said. So I don't really understand 
how you could come away from that and be like, oh, that person like really impressed me or that person I like their ideas because they all put forward the exact same ideas. Yeah. It really is just about sort of like the debate performance at this point. And a lot of them still kind of underdelivered. Um, so Nikki Haley, I mean, any other impressions of her? I feel like she had a strong performance last time, a strong performance this time. She maybe has like another another chance to kind of like overcome Ron DeSantis. But it's just such a like they're all competing to take the smallest L at this point. So it just feels irrelevant. Yeah, it feels And honestly, that's the vibe of the debate is that you can see like these are people who are competing for second place and it felt like the B team. Like it really, really did. The entire time I'm like, even the person who's doing the best, like no one dazzles you or has any kind of like, no one really sticks out. Like Nikki Haley does a good job, but not in a way where you're like, wow, Nikki Haley, like, really seems smart. Tim Scott came across as, like, a normal man. Cool. Mike Pence is so boring. So, so boring. Chris Christie, I guess Chris Christie is interesting in that he's the only one up there who's talking shit about Trump, and he just turns everything back to that. But, like, he's not going to win with that. He's just doing that as sort of a public service, which... You know, God bless him. Vivek, I guess I would say the most magnetic person up there is Vivek, but like magnetic in the way that like the center of a black hole is a big magnet that will crush you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I was trying to think like if I'm like a Republican donor, who am I, who am I going for after last night? And I'm kind of just disappointed and and, yeah exactly it's gonna be donald trump yeah right it's gonna be donald trump none of none of them have it none of them have even an ounce of it not even an ounce let's let's do a quick run through of tim scott because he definitely had made much more of an impression last night than in the first debate um that's what people are saying uh he had a strong performance but he kind of felt like it kind of felt like he and nikki haley were the adults in the room and doug burgum who was the mute adult in the room um he did have a really interesting moment when desantis was confronted over a florida education guideline that mandates teaching of the benefits of slavery we've talked quite a lot about that he was sounding good he was like all, he was like having a, a moment like about how you know african americans black people in this country have overcome all these you know layers of oppression throughout history but then he said that actually the creation of social welfare programs were just as bad, if not worse, for African-Americans. He was like, it's actually the great – Johnson's Great Society is what is what has what has perpetuated racism. Slavery, yep. fine. We got over it. We got through it. Yeah. It's always very weird when Tim Scott speaks on these issues. And like, you know what? He's a black American. He's allowed to have whatever opinions – he wants about the experience of black Americans, but it is always like this weird dance where I feel like he walks right up to saying the truth about racism. Mm -hmm. And then he has to do this pivot of like, but we like, he has to always do this thing where he's like, we actually have addressed slavery and we have addressed the harms done by slavery. And it's like, I don't know, man. Yeah. That's a hard sell there to me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. All right. So Mike Pence, 
Mike Pence's highlights included an unsolicited promise to immediately execute all mass shooters and references to his and Joe Biden's marital sex lives. As we discussed on the show, Mike Pence, they were talking about teachers unions and Mike Pence, the former vice president, attempted to emphasize his authority on the issue by saying that he's, quote, been sleeping with a teacher for 38 years. Again, landed with a thud. Thud. Absolute thud. It was also... That entire situation was very weird because Chris Christie, the reason that Mike, that was a riff off of something that Chris Christie had said where Chris ah. Christie was like. I lo- that was too, that went right by me on 2x speed. <laughs> oh, listen. So Chris Christie, they were talking shit about the teachers unions. Yeah. Great move. Cool. In a in a historic like labor rights uprising. Yeah. Talk shit about the teachers unions. Cool. Mm-hmm. But he was talking shit about them. And then he said. But we have a president who's sleeping with a member of the teachers union. And I'm I was sitting there and I literally could not figure out what he meant. I was like, is Joe Biden sleeping with a member of the teachers union? And then I thought that maybe he had like fallen asleep at a meeting with the teachers union because sleeping you know, we know yeah. Joe's fallen asleep before. So I was like, maybe that's what he's saying. And then I was like, oh, right. Jill Biden is a teacher. So it was just like such a fucking Chris weird way it. to talk about the president and first lady. Like, I mean, yeah, he's, I guess, technically sleeping with a member of the teacher union who he's been married to for decades like he could have made the same point by being like the president is married to a member of the teachers union but instead he like made it sexual for reasons i don't really understand and then it was like a couple minutes later clearly mike pence was like i will i have a joke yes and i yeah i'm gonna write like sometimes as a comedian sometimes you'll hear one comedian tell a joke and you'll write down like I can I have a riff on that subject as well or something. Yeah, he might have been ready to say. So he was like, I will. (laughs) He was like, I will say that I. But then Uh it was also weird because I guess his wife isn't in the teachers union. So he was like, well, I haven't been. You know, she's not in the teachers union, but I've been sleeping with a teacher for 38 years. Oh, and I'm just like – and it was like really convoluted I was getting nervous stuff. it was going to keep going and then they all were going to like make an unnecessarily sexual reference to like – but what what also is so funny about it is that like they – the way Chris Christie said it, it's like normally when you're like you're in bed with the – and it's like some terrible – some corrupt group with evil associations. It's like the worst – you're worst – you're like – you said the teachers' unions. Like the teachers' unions are this huge villains and these like corrupt forces on the United States government. That's the worst thing you can come up with about right. Jill Biden. Well, you're in bed with the teachers' unions, well, literally. Well, your wife's a teacher. Okay. <laughs> oh, no. Go on. His wife's a teacher. What? <laughs> Yeah, it was the, weird. The, it, well, there were some. There seemed to be a couple moments where some of them were like obviously picking up on the fact that there's a workers' rights movement happening, and they were trying to sort of balance between like yes, right to work for all of their like business bosses that don't want to pay people well and uh, ben- and give them benefits, and the fact that like we could be entering like a real like there's definitely an opportunity for the economic cap- populist kind of candidate here who can kind of villainize, um, yeah, who can kind of you know, advocate for like blue collar workers in the middle class in a different way than we see the left doing. Um, but then, yeah, then this bizarre <laughs> villainizing of the teachers unions and this like competition to be more anti-teachers union. Yeah, it was very weird. And it was like, 
it just kind of came out of nowhere. And then I just can't get over describing Joe Biden as sleeping with a member <laughs> of the teachers union. It hit, it took me like it truly took me a minute to like yeah. decipher what he was saying. And I really did think, oh, there must have been some one of those scandals that misses me because I'm not in Republican things where he was at a meeting and he looked like he was asleep or something like literally that's what I thought he was talking right. about. And then I was like, oh, he's talking about Jill. Because <laughs> finally well, it's also, I yeah. pizza and I was like, oh, my God, that's what he meant. It's very funny that, again, like they're using just a, a person's um, professional, like professional path and their interest to like villainize them. It's like if I was like, if I was like, and and she he he's in bed with a member of the Prospect Heights Community Board. It's like, well, yeah. that's great. The fine. That's, what are you talking okay. about? What? There's actually a lot. I should actually. There's actually a lot of drama in Prospect Heights right now. It's really intense over a bike boulevard. So maybe somebody would say that. Somebody's probably said that a couple feet from me. All right, that's everybody. Doug Burgum was there. I think he everybody? was. He was present. There um, might have been one more. Who am I? We we just talked about Vivek at the beginning. Um, yeah, I mean Chris Christie. I would say I guess had the big moment of the night by. Of course. <laughs> call. He had this line that was like. Donald, I know you're watching. You can't help yourself. And you're ducking out of these. But guess what? If you keep doing that, we're not going to call you Donald Trump. We're going to call you Donald Duck. And then he made this face like he truly was like, I am slamming him. And I was just like, this man, the man you're talking to, calls you fat. Every moment he is asked about you, he says, <laughs> obese, fat, fat, literally. And you're going to go, Donald Duck? Yeah. <laughs> it was it was crazy. <laughs> oh, man. Crazy. Cra- he was. He was so self-satisfied. So self-satisfied. He really thought it was good. He, he really, really thought it was good. Thought I mean, it was, it, good. Was, it, was a, it was a joke. It had. It was a joke. Um, it was a joke. It's like I if don't... you're going to teach somebody who's like completely humorless, like a complete psychosociopath, like how to, or just how to understand a joke. Kristen, so maybe that's, maybe that's your next iteration, Chris Christie. We, it's honestly like, I'm actually like, I'm like, okay, how can we punch up the Donald Duck joke? <laughs> I don't think there's any way to make it good, but I think that what he could have said is if he's like, we should call you Donald Duck how much you're ducking out of these things. Exactly. And then I don't think it would Love have been that. as bad. <laughs> right. The writer's strike is over, so I can pitch. <laughs> um, and the Donald my- Duck was too divorced from, like, the original Duck. Yeah, it was – be- and, and I think this is something that we've talked about when we try to edit their jokes in the past is that mm-hmm. they belabor it too much. They, they walk down the path for too yeah. long. Um, and all the lead up to saying Donald Duck, it's like, that's not good. We should, Mm -hmm. Donald Duck should have been like casually incorporated. And then I think, I don't think it was ever going to be a huge laugh line, but it wouldn't have been the the clunker. It would have been like a dad joke. Like, oh, okay. uh, okay, Yeah. Yeah. People would have been like, ha ha. But instead, because he like really led up to it and then made this face, it was like, oh God, it was like incredibly cringy. 
It was tough. It was tough. This is what happens when you hire non-union writers to write yeah. your debate exactly. jokes. Exactly. You get exactly. Yeah. Oh man. So all right, the Trump of it all. According to an NBC news poll, Trump now leads the GOP field by about forty-three points. So that lead is growing. That lead is growing. The more these people talk about themselves and expose their views and how uncharismatic they are, the more that the more that lead is growing. A few of the candidates did go on offense against Trump, specifically his refusal. A few of the candidates did go on the offense against Trump, specifically his refusal to participate in the debates, the ducking of the debates, of course. <laughs> and his response was that the debate was boring. Uh, he gave a ramp during the debate. What he did instead was give a rambling speech in Michigan, clocking in more than an hour. He talked for more than an hour about the importance of workers' rights amid an auto strike. He made this speech from a non-unionized auto shop. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Because now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click Gift Mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. Watching these debates, do you think that Trump made the right choice to sit them out? Or do you think like like they've just oh, been he, so – Yeah. He played this 100% right. He he didn't – he doesn't need to do them. He doesn't. He's right that he doesn't need to lead? do them. No. Yeah. He only would have lifted them up and given them a chance to – ask him questions. Not that he ever would have answered them. Like the other thing about Donald Trump debating is like, you always hope that it's going to be this moment where someone like gets him. But he, again, he's like a caged animal. Like he's going, he's just like feral. He's not going to be like, you know what? You got me there. Like, he's just going to be like, I think you're ugly. And I think your wife's ugly. Like, it's like, it's never going to be like that he's actually oh, – they kept being like, you should be up here to answer for your record. I'm like, do you think that's what he would do up mm-hmm. there? Or do you think he would say, um, you know, Chris Christie's fat. I don't know. Uh, probably mispronounced Vivek's name like purposefully. Uh, tell mm-hmm. Nikki Haley he wouldn't fuck her. <laughs> Absolutely. Like literally give Ron DeSantis a wedgie live on screen. Uh, like he, that's not what he would do. He would haze every single one of you Mm -hmm. live and then leave. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and he would probably, yeah. And I mean, I think, I think it's also helped Biden that Trump wasn't there because he's not there to, they're, they're, they're saying all the things about his record that they don't like, which includes a lot of spending. Republicans say they don't Mm -hmm. like spending. Trump cut a tax, a lot of taxes and there was plenty of spending. So the Biden campaign this morning was basically retweeting quotes from the GOP debate saying, we agree because they're all dunking on Trump and he's not really there to defend himself. So it's really helping both sides that 
that he's not there kind of like to, to a degree. Yeah. I just think like the debates in the past have been a forum for honestly, Donald Trump to just wipe the floor with everybody that he's debating because of his complete lack of decorum and insane behavior. Just like, No one can match him, you know? So there isn't really any point in debating him because he sucks up all the oxygen. And the only thing that is ever remembered from the debates are the digs that he gets in. So if he was up there and he was able to say whatever it was he was going to say about Hunter or Joe and get his digs in on Joe Biden, those would be the headlines alongside whatever massive disrespect he showed to the other people on the stage. And that would be it. You know, mm-hmm. like the, the only thing we remember from the first round of debates are all his nicknames for everybody. And then the only thing we remember from when he debated Hillary was him stalking around behind her. And then like the one debate he did with Joe Biden was just completely crazy town. So it really doesn't serve anyone for him to be, given that kind of platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Exactly. I mean, not much more, not much more to discuss. There's one more of these, I think, in like a month and a half. In Miami. And then, okay. And then they're going to be really xenophobic at that one. And they're going to be talking about the border wall even more than they have. That one's going to be crazy. And also- no. No, sit I'm that one out. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna sit that one out, but I will say because it was on Fox, so I ended up catching some of the Fox after show, which was like Ooh, interesting. Absolutely terrifying. Like all of them being like, every single person on that stage would be better than Joe Biden. And I'm like, okay, you guys act like Joe Biden. <laughs> Joe Biden is just the most basic, like flat line. Like, it, it's just whatever. Anyway, mm-hmm. it's just funny to me when people act like Joe Biden is either is is so terrible when I'm like the whole thing about Joe Biden is that he's so nothing. Mm-hmm. But anyway, <laughs> in all the best ways and often the worst. Yeah. Yeah, like I the thing is we're voting for that or again the center of a black hole crushing you, crushing right. all human matter. So it's like <laughs> but their big thing was that they seem like they really want them whoever like the debate people to cut down on who qualifies for the next Mm -hmm, one mm -hmm. so i feel like i mean doug burgum really can he stay on that stage that sounds kind of crazy they kept saying like there are a couple people who shouldn't be up there and i was like i wonder who they're referring to probably doug burgum probably christy because even though christy has a lot of moments and takes up a lot of space he's not actually a viable candidate for the nomination so i wonder if maybe they lose two for the next Mm -hmm. one and then it's just tim scott uh nikki haley vivek and uh DeSantis. Right. Because they still, a lot of them, the people that are not supportive of Trump, like they're still desperate for an alternative. And they're like, you know, eventually we need to coalesce around somebody and give them all of our support because it's going to take literally everything we have to get to get any, you know, primary challenger to beat him. Or also in the event that like something happens to Trump. I don't know. He dies. He like gets immediately imprisoned. I don't think any of that yeah, is happening I mean- before. Like, <laughs> You never know. You never know. Anything can happen. But I mean, I do think they're fucking screwed, honestly, if he 
if something happens to him because they don't got it. They don't got the juice. None of them have none it. None of them have the juice. Not a one. All right. Shall we bring Millie back and wrap this up? I think so. It's Okey time. Doke. Okay. There we have it. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing, up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. All right. As we announced two weeks ago, today, Thursday, September 28th, marks Elise and Millie's last podcast with us. The Better Stuff podcast is also going to take a quick little hiatus before we're launching ahead of 2024. So growth is always good. You know, we're having some exciting conversations about what's next for the podcast. And if you didn't listen to Elise and Millie's really beautiful kind of explanations for their moving on, definitely go listen to that. But, you know, obviously this is the end of an era and and we have to mark it accordingly. It's, it's the end of the era of the three of us and also Sammy and Brian and Caitlin, such fundamental parts of this host lineup. Um, Sammy will obviously be coming back in. Brian, I will probably drag back in. Caitlin's writing amazing stuff for the website. I will going to try to get her back on from time to time too. So like I said, this this podcast proceeds this particular host lineup, but I want to pull, you know, a few news events all three of us were podcasting for starting in like mid-2020 just to reflect on what it was like to cover them. I don't think we would do this if we weren't, you know, having... Uh, you know, this this transition for the podcast. I haven't thought about, I have not thought about some of these moments for a long time. Uh, so so let's, should, should we just dive through this list? Yeah, let's get into it. Walk down memory lane, dark memory lane. <laughs> Walk down, oh my God. As you said that, I just envisioned like thunder, lightning, just like burning stones. It has been quite a treacherous lane. But the, the thing we talk about the most, the moment, the best day on the internet was when Trump got COVID. Oh, the alchemy of that moment. It was just a de- it was just a delight that I never experienced. And I feel like yeah. we can say it now cuz he survived and that fucker's never dying. Yeah, he was, unfortunately I was proud to be an I American. Think, I I was proud for the first, to quote Michelle Obama for the first time ever. I was proud to be an American. <laughs> I mean, the instant memes, everything happening, it was really it was really beautiful. It was really beautiful and we talk about it all the time. It was Twitter's last great day. Yeah, it was. I don't it know. Was a, there were subsequent ones. 
Yeah, the Montgomery brawl. Oh, yeah. Good point. Good point. Corrected. <laughs> August 5th, 2023. I'm kidding. I very distinctly remember Danny waking me up literally like it was Christmas. Like the way that you would be like, Santa has come. He was he was standing in the doorway and he was like, Elise, Trump got COVID. And I was just like, ah! <laughs> Again, like a child, jumped out of bed, ran to the living room to watch all my little shows and everything. I mean, that was crazy. And I do think that he got a lot sicker than they let on. Remember they had like that like kind of young doctor come yeah. out and everyone was like, is this a real doctor? And What's- he was like, Trump's so strong. He can yeah. overcome anything. Like... It was around that time, too, when people were really arguing, like, well, you can't ask me if I'm vaccinated because that's a violation of HIPAA. And it's like, whatever this doctor is doing about talking about Trump's, like, health is actually a violation of HIPAA, but maybe not because it's probably not true. (laughs) He got for real sick. And he also, I mean, we know this retroactively, but he almost he had COVID while he was debating Joe Biden. Terrible. Definitely had COVID while he was debating Joe Biden. And, it and they had like, that little screen next to him. God bless. The, the, the sneeze guard that you see at Subway. And I, it was also so gratifying because he had been flouting. He had been completely flouting guidelines. So it's like, it's not like it was like, oh, Fauci got COVID. Oh, no, that's sad. And it's like the thing... Uh, and the reason why, is the reason why it felt so good because we thought he might die. Like, well, I don't know. I think there's a culmination of just it was a really we have a couple 2020 moments we're going to discuss that 2020 was so intense. It was so dark. <laughs> Wishing a man dead. And it was like fall, too. It was like mid fall. It was it's probably like a three year anniversary soon because it was it was in October at some point. How do you remember that? Because it was uh, right before the vaccines. And because they were debating. Because if they were having a one-on-one debate, it was in October. We were close to the end of the election. It w- yeah. it would have to have been fall because I remember. Yeah, no vaccine. You're right. October second, and- the early hours of October second, 2020. Wow, Millie, that was really good. I knew it was October. Come on. Your body keeps the score. My body, my body <laughs> kept that fucking score. I'll say this, right? Just for the record, I want to go out saying we don't think it's funny that people get COVID. COVID no. was a very serious thing. It's just funny when Trump got COVID because yeah. he one person it was funny when they got COVID. <laughs> Because he did so much. He, like, really was so inactive. He, like... We don't talk about that enough yeah, on an online like, basis because we're so a, traumatized. But, like, that many people died because of him. Because of him. Because he didn't handle it. He refused to see it. And it was some kind of, like, poetic justice that he got it. I would say I was laughing thinking about... There's one of my favorite podcasts that's thankfully now over because it was all about Trump and his financial crimes was Trump Inc. And they had this whole episode dedicated to like how fucked the secret service, like their bills to the U S government because covering Trump, they all had to get jet skis because they have to like follow Trump's family. And they all like, they had to stay at his fucking hotels and they didn't even give him a deal and all this crazy shit. But so I'm like, these guys are like on vacation all the fucking time. But the Trump getting COVID, I'll never forget. 
windows down in the SUV. Like he did like some weird parade mm-hmm. to show how strong he was. And he looked physically infirm. He looked. <laughs> so yeah. he was like from this big Tahoe SUV shit, <laughs> but like with the windows down. <laughs> And the no, fuck, no vaccines yet. No vaccines. And like the Secret Service was like masked up sitting in this car next to Trump while this motherfucker had COVID so he can wave out the window. So like his three fans and oh man. And then also I'll just say this, the COVID coin. I don't, that one stuck me. That the 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 commemorative Trump defeats COVID $100 coin that looks ugly as shit. Maybe Menendez, Bob Menendez will accept those for his next the surplus of those for his next time he needs to pay some late late mortgage payments. The next one today is just it's also 2020 related. I'm not going to get fully into the pandemic because I I don't think culture will ever revisit that. Like I never want to read a pandemic novel. I never want to watch a pandemic TV show or watch a pandemic rom-com. I simply don't want to re- revisit it. Like it it was so – I have no desire. It will be I've, – I've thought a lot about this. Like when will we start to see art that is like explicitly about the pandemic that is like successful? I think the only pandemic piece of art that was produced during the pandemic that was successful is Bo Burnham Inside. Ooh. That's the only thing that I think people genuinely mm-hmm. – liked and watched and wanted to engage with that was about the pandemic. I know some shows tried to do the pandemic and stuff. And like, I know the morning show has like a pandemic, like they touch on the pandemic in seasons or whatever. Oh my God, the morning show. But I feel like, I feel like that stuff doesn't come until you have like a younger generation that straight up does not remember it and can look at it in a way of like, I don't know. I feel like when we were young, there was a lot of World War II stuff. And mm-hmm. people were like, let's think about World War II. And that had been like several decades since World War II. The people who had fought in World War II were old by that time. I don't I think that it's gonna be similar to the pandemic where like no one is gonna want to watch a COVID movie unless they are a person who they're like oh, that's crazy that that happened. I wonder what it was like. It's so funny because this week, Millie Robbie Brown released a novel or a book about stories that her grandma told her about being a teenager in World War II England. And Interesting. Uh, it's like okay. one of our grandkids are going to like write a novel about like just the, I just say, I call it the washing groceries era, like late March, early April, 2020, when everyone was washing groceries and like going to the grocery store was the horniest thing. (laughs) Like being single during COVID, like that was so crazy. And you lived alone, right? And I lived, uh, basically my roommate was out and then I would, and then I had a friend who lived a few blocks away and I would see them like every other day we'd go on a walk. Um, and that's when they started, I got kicked out of the park for drinking. Like it was just crazy. And the same park I was at was the same park that the Hillsong guy met the mm-hmm. mistress. Like a lot of shit went Sacred down. Ground. Sacred ground, man. Oh yeah. I remember the, the, the pandemic was so intense. Suddenly they were like, you want to do that podcast five times a week? And I was like, 
I Why guess, not? I guess we'll, I guess we'll do that. And then we kept it that way uh, for two years. So, okay. Next on my list. So yeah, the pandemic, we're not going to get into like, it's like, I would never watch Contagion now because I have no curiosity no. about what happens during a pandemic. We, we all no. know. So exactly. It will take some, it will take people that kind of have questions and have a curiosity about what actually happened. But my next, the next on my list is just like, this isn't an isolated moment, but just like the last few months before the 2020 election, I think a lot about this time because it was just so stressful. My hair was falling out, not because of anything anyone was making me do professionally. I think just like anyone in a position with a platform, which was honestly everybody was just like felt so much pressure to do absolutely everything possible to turn out every vote and make sure everybody knew how bad Trump was. And like, it was just a tough, like my hair, my hair was coming out. I was so scared. I was so stressed, just, just so scared that that man was going to stay in power. And now, you know, I think there was a poll that came out today showing he might be a couple points against uh, ahead of Biden, which I'm not going to engage with. But what do you guys remember, not about covering, you know, the panic and urgency leading up to 2020, but just about experiencing it as a person? I had so much, like, I think when Trump won uh, in 2016, there, I personally felt, and I think a lot of people felt like, fuck, I didn't do enough or I, you know, because there are people who are like, do you want to come like knock on doors in Pennsylvania? Like we're going to go a trip and uh, for Hillary. And I, I did, you know, I didn't do as much. So I really, I feel like over, ex- not overextended myself, but I really worked hard to, to not have that same regret this time. And had so I like filled out a bunch of postcards for the sunrise movement of like teens in Pennsylvania and be like, please vote. And like (laughs) I signed up for fucking poll working and I I know was doing phone calls and emails and and I, yeah, exactly. I can't like, I, um, not canvas. What do you call it? When you phone bank, I phone bank several times. Like I did so much like personally so that when like, Whatever happened, I was like, well, exactly. I fucking gave it the college try and I didn't have that despair feeling that I had um, in 2016. And I just remember that like in New York City after Trump won, um, every single volunteer, like big brother, big sister had like so many fucking um, volunteers. They were like over, you know, I had a like overwhelmed what was it ACLU had so many donations they were overwhelmed my roommate at the time before Trump won she would go like every every other week to like the edge of Queens to an abortion clinic to be one of those escorts that like accompany women to their cars after Trump won so many people felt so guilty that the wait list like she could only go every four months or five months so it's like that kind of energy was the 2020 election for me and everyone I knew. Mm-hmm. And all of that energy and Biden still only won by like, you know, 60,000 votes in a couple of in a couple of states. So like Dude, that feeling I- about like you have to do not wanting to leave anything on the field like thank god, thank god we all thank did god. that. I I feel like I uh, 2020 brought up a lot of like 2016 PTSD for me as well in the way that Millie described definitely like I was very like I'm going to JFK to protest like I'll be there oh, yeah. like I remember like you, there were like so many immediate things to protest and everyone was just out the women's march I went in DC like everyone like it was yep. such like a 
I was like, oh my God, I can't. But part of it for me is that I was definitely one of the people who did not think that was going to happen at all in 2016. I truly like, I was honestly arrogant about it. I was like, there's just no way that he wins. He's too stupid. She's too established as a candidate. I literally had, I like, I, I thought like karmically, like the universe won't let that happen. Bad things like that can't happen. The powers that be will step in. Like, liter- like literally, I thought the deep state was going to work in our favor. And stuff. <laughs> like, I was like, it, it can't happen. It can't happen. And so that moment when he won was a major wake up call for me about like the level of misogyny and racism that exists in this country which just I had a lot of privilege to like not recognize until that moment to like really see like oh shit people will elect someone like this for real as the president of the United States like someone who's like visibly disgusting can be president based off of this and so I think for me in 2020 I was so anxious because even when signs seemed good and Biden Mm -hmm. was pulling ahead and it looked like he was going to win, I was just like, until that race is called, I Mm -hmm. cannot rest easy. And I remember also having a feeling that I was really scared about the period in between Trump losing and Biden being inaugurated. And as it turns out, some shit did happen during that time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it didn't go down to the full extent that it could have, but I was really concerned about his actual relinquishment of office. Mm-hmm. And those fears were founded. So yeah, they were. That's um that that that's also on our list, but we're going chronologically. And next, yes. do you remember? When Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, of course you do, but she died again, October, like right before. I thought she died in September. Oh, September. Maybe like, oh, Millie, Millie knows. Millie keeps time in her bones. <laughs> Millie has a okay, clock. So. Like, Millie's in I went on like a trip that weekend and it, I remember on my way there. I have a crazy memory. Yeah. Her dying just... I wasn't sure I would make it. I've said this before because I think, again, we were working so hard. And then to know that we had now a confirmation hearing ahead of us that we knew was just going to be so, so unbelievably heartbreaking. And and it was. September 18th, 2020. September 18th. All right. Two for two. The next on the list uh, is is the days between Tuesday, November 3rd and s- Saturday, November 7th, which Elise referenced. Those were also some of my favorite days on the internet just because it's like there are rare moments when like politics becomes pop culture. They become mm. the meme of the moment. Those are always my favorite moments because everyone is paying attention to the things that we pay attention to. And yeah, it was just like such a such a suspended four days. Like mm-hmm. time didn't matter. Even people I know that had jobs that were not connected to this were not really <laughs> working to their highest potential. I remember like the Saturday, M- Mike was like, let's go to brunch. And I was like, I can't leave. I can't leave. I need to be here when it happens. And of course it happens like as soon as we're out. But it was great that way because I got got a glass of champagne yeah. and then our job was done. Um, my What was your favorite meme from that moment? Because I have my favorite was – um, there's a, I mean, this is I have like no memory, super, so go for it. <laughs> yeah. I'm like gay Twitter. Like there's on, um, Chromatica, there's a shift from, um, like 
one song to another song and it's like the 911 is the is the song from Lady Gaga and it's just like when the states go from red to blue and it's like dun, 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 boom and it's just like like I don't know it's just like everyone making memes of Georgia and Michigan flipping and Wisconsin Georgia flipping, flipping. yes oh yeah I- I remember I went to Millie. I went to your place. You went to my place. We <laughs> smoked some weed and a ladybug landed on me. Yes. Millie, you smoked some weed? I smoke weed just okay. not all the time. Okay. <laughs> you I, know. Well. When Joe Biden wins, we smoked we yeah. smoked some weed, a ladybug landed on me, and then Millie had a party. At, I had a party on my she roof. She had a party on her <laughs> roof that was really, really fun. And that's the thing that I remember is they played that song that was like, Fuck Donald Trump. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and we Donald were like, Trump. the vibes in New York were. The vibes in New York they, were I haven't been better since. People obviously dancing in the fountains everywhere. I just like, yeah, I just walked Hon- around town all day. Honking horns mm-hmm. everywhere. I feel like it was like that when I, the only times I felt something like that, because like, New York's teams kind of suck. So, like, we haven't had, like, a World Series win. We haven't had, like, a in a while. And, you know, in the last, like, 10 years or something. Don't correct me. I don't know those dates. Um, And no basketball stuff. Like, but it it really felt like the only time I kind of felt something like that the day that Biden won was when Obama won in 2012. I, like, was in Harlem and I hear all these pans clinking and everything and everyone's honking and shit. That's how it felt when... um. When Biden won in totally. in 2020, yeah. If you lived anywhere where there was like a diver- like a you know an urban center with a lot of diversity, it was just like you could feel the relief. Like the way that I found out was just somebody screaming from their from their window, and and that's how we that's how we found out. Um, I will say I've been going to a lot of New York Liberty games because they are probably the best team New York's had for a while. They could actually yes, win these WNBA yes. playoffs. So. I know yes. we should go. We should go. I'm going. Yeah, I would like to that. Let's go. Let's, it's right next to me, and Barclays treated me to some very good tickets that I'm going to go tonight and do some live memes. Uh, I went over the weekend. That's why my voice. Yeah, I'm, I'm obsessed with them. I'm also. I think I've said this. I'm attracted to every female athlete. So like, it's really. <laughs> there. I mean, the basketball ones are the great ones, um, and it's such a. And it's such a. Um, it's so fun. Scene. There's tons of it's men such a there. Scene. Like the yeah. halftime performances are incredible. Like if you're the thing about male sports fans is that if you're a male sports fan, you should want to go to a New York Liberty game because they're a great team to watch and it's and it's the playoff. So it's cool to see like a bunch of guys just there by themselves. If there's a man listening to this podcast and made it this far, they're going to the New York <laughs> Liberty game. There's no need to convince them. They're, yeah. They have season tickets. Any man that <laughs> is not willing to go to a Liberty game listen to probably maybe 15 minutes of one of our of one of our podcasts. But um yeah, hopefully we will be able to reclaim that moment of uh, it feels like, you know, like Elise said, seeing that somebody like Trump could win the presidency, it feels like every election forever is going to feel like 2020 did short of, you know, the Electoral College changing. <sighs> Obviously, after that, that was an amazing day. And then we had a couple weeks of nervousness. And I kept telling people, don't worry. Don't worry. December 12th the date you got to worry about. No, January 6th comes along. And there was indeed an insurrection. The moment there Natalie was. Morales... <laughs> Clicked send on the bachelor party invite. <laughs> you know, we have reflected That's quite true. a bit on the insurrection, but you know, it's it obviously has defined a lot of our a lot of our politics. And again, we, the moments we've all just gone through clearly culminated into this one. I was a Republican until the insurrection. <laughs> Any I thoughts think, on the insurrection? I think, like, 
the thing that was really scary to me was that I was really paying attention to how Trump wasn't transitioning out. Like they weren't doing any of the paperwork. They weren't giving any of the documents. Like it was really bad. Like nobody in his office was participating with any Trump. In the way that like the day after Trump won, Obama was giving him a tour of the White House and all that shit. And like, all, even though Tr obviously Obama didn't want to do that, this guy was extremely racist to him, but... He like put on his big boy pants and was like, this is where this is and this is where that is. And fucking, you know, this guy like was not giving like documents or anything or it was so. So when I saw the interaction, like, again, a very memeable, very thing, but it, it was very also just scary. And it just was like, that was like the first time where I was like fuck, am I going to have to move to Dominican Republic? Like, am I going to have to get the fuck out of here? And like, this shit is getting, and, and then also when Trump, the live coverage, and then like finally at the end of the day, when Trump gave his speech, I saw live on CNN when Trump was like, hey, everyone go home, but also like, this is what happens when you steal an election. It, that shit was fucking so infuriating that Jake Tapper almost had an aneurysm on CNN talking about hot guys that are anyway but yeah like that was just a clear memory of like I was definitely really scared and also thinking destabilizing of, yeah yeah thinking of how I would do in Dominican Republic <laughs> as a yeah leader. I mean I just feel like that's the craziest shit I've ever seen like live on TV, you know? Cause like we talked about being kids during nine 11. Like I did not watch that on TV in that way. Like, and in a way where like, I fully understood, like I'm watching the news and I understood the gravity of what's going on. And I actually, I really watched it play out because I remember my mom had called me earlier in the day and she was like, are you going to watch the election certification? And I mm. was like, not planning to, but no. <laughs> yeah, I was like, no, but then I ended up turning it on just cause she said so. And I was like, huh, whatever, you know, cause again, we were like all even hyper tuned in at that time. So I'm watching it. And I remember, oh, and I also remember that because of the newsletter, I had known that that rally was going to happen. It had been like on my radar and it was like a big deal. You know, people were like talking about it or whatever. And I had texted my friends, Katie and Bailey and been like, I think this rally in D.C. is like not going to be good news. <laughs> basically. <laughs> and like my buddy lived out, lives down there and he was saying how like the vibes were off mm. in the district. And so I, it was just like kind of all like happening in the background. And then I was watching the election certification and I remember that they were showing the rally in like the bottom corner in like a small square. And then slowly but surely like they, the, people started breaching the walls of the Capitol and like people were like climbing on stuff. That's when I was like, wait a minute, what the fuck is going on? And people were like climbing. And then I remember the moment where they moved the election certification to the small square and made the Ooh, yeah. insurrection, the big square. And I started watching it and I, Danny was doing work in the office and I came into the office and I was like, something crazy is happening on TV right now. And he was kind of very like, 
yeah, that's like, yeah, whatever. And I was like, no, like you have to stop what you're doing and come see what's happening on the TV right now. And then the next thing, the, the other biggest thing I remember is watching it and just being like, where are the police? Like, yeah. how is this? I remember just being like, how can this be taking place? Like both yeah. of us were yelling, like, where's the fucking army? And we've learned so much since then about like, yeah, that during that whole time, Trump was basically MIA, refusing to do anything. Eventually, Mike Pence had to, like, step in and do stuff that he wasn't actually technically authorized to do. Like, we know so much about what was happening behind the scenes then. But I remember as I was watching it just being so, like, why, how are people able to get into the Capitol like that? Like, how is this happening? And I think since then we learned that there were, like, really broad security failures. But at the time with the footage we were watching, it was really scary to watch yeah. officers move the the, yeah. Um, yeah. the blockades, which ultimately was just kind of for safe, like it was over at that point. It was but at the time we didn't know what was going. It was like, is everybody in on it? What is about to happen? Well, like what is like, about to happen? Officers were dying. Yeah. Yeah. Literally. And I do remember people were dying. We were watching people yeah. die. We were watching people a, die and like gruesome shit was happening. There was a very distinct feeling also that I think maybe we like don't talk about as much because it luckily like the elected officials did get away and like it wasn't as bad as it could have been, even though it's oh, yeah. really fucking bad. But I remember being genuinely scared that we were going to see them like drag Nancy Pelosi out of her office. Yeah, like yeah, like a I was really worried about AOC. I was really worried about Nancy Pelosi. I was genuinely fearful about what would happen if these people got a hold of a representative, especially a Democrat. Mike Pence, it wasn't looking good for him mm-hmm. either. But well, right, right. I mean, and it sounds Afterwards, people are like, oh, well, that would have been very extreme. But it's like, it's just crowd mentality. No, it's mob it mentality. When one no. person does, if two people do something, everyone's going to do it. It just would have taken one person to to decide that that was acceptable and that's what they came to do. And we and would have seen a was fucking already massacre. Extreme. Yeah. It was yeah. already, they were, the, it was the most extreme, the, like, it, it, they, they, those people, we were, like, if you remember, like, they were fully frenzied crazy yeah. climbing over walls breaking things screaming like it was again like you just Zip said ties, mom shit on the walls yeah i hope they know how to crab walk and they get put in a in a prison with wherever the guard that let the runaways go found a second job All right, next on our list is inauguration also just sort of like a moment of relief a nice fairly uneventful day the obamas look great Jennifer, Jennifer Lopez had her. Let's get loud. loud. That's just, the biggest moment of the inauguration for me. There were there any? Oh, Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders mittens Mids, and yeah, Jennifer so Lopez. Memorable. Let's get loud. It was eerie though because it was literally two weeks after yeah. January. No, 6th. it was really eerie. Everyone was concerned for everybody's safety like, or holding your breath. Shit was like still broken and fucked up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. And it did have ch- those vibes to it. And we had just watched them. The second impeachment had like yes, just happened oh too. So we, it, the vibes were really crazy. Part of me feels like in a weird way, the inauguration was safer because January 6th had just happened. Mm-hmm. And like, 
I'm, I, I think everything was just on really high alert. But it was crazy because, yeah, over that two weeks, like the insurrection had happened. They had tried to impeach him again and failed. Now Joe Biden was coming in. Trump had well, left. Well, they impeached but, him. They just didn't. Uh, oh, yeah they, him. yeah. they didn't remove him from office like two days early. Yeah, which was so, I mean, it's such a failure on their part to do that. And we're in the situation we're in now with him running again because they did that. But I didn't think, oh, bastard, <laughs> bastards. I will never forget Jen Zaki's first press conference. There was something so incredibly soothing about that. And when she was just like, I'll be here tomorrow. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> We're back. Things are things are somewhat. Just that one day of him being like, "Okay, this office now exists again. This insane executive order, you know, like sentencing trans kids to death that that's gone." So that was a really, um, that was a a really intense couple days. Next on my list is obviously there's like more things that have happened, more terrible things. But I wanted to pick things that we could maybe have like some laughs over. (laughs) These are all getting kind of sad though. When Roe was overturned. I also didn't I, – I didn't – my body had not accepted that that was definitely going to happen. Again, that happened on like a Friday morning and despite all signs pointing to them doing that and, you know, so many – like we've talked a lot about how now it's just sort of like we take for granted that pretty much all Democrats are out there saying the word abortion, talking about abortion rights, but that really was not the case a year and a half ago. It was really hushed about. Nobody was talking about it. And now we have like women who should never have been put in the position to have to talk about the worst medical catastrophes of of their life. It's like it's been, you know, a year and change since that was overturned. But I think that was one of the the biggest moments on our, our podcast. I was definitely grateful during that time to have like a space to talk to other women about how intense that was. I think like because of um, a an interview or what we had with um, the lawyer. Yeah. Um, Amani Gandhi. Amani Gandhi. Yeah. Because of that a few months before where she was like, this is going to happen. That kind of prepared me. But I, as we kind of reflected about like all the Trump stuff and all the Trump shenanigans and like the high anxiety that the Trump period was, the the disappointing moments of the Biden administration are shaded with a lot more despair and like because the Trump shit was so crazy and frequent and extreme that you're like, oh well when we get this like normal politician that's here, like everything's gonna be better. And when we're still getting disappointed and really and it's complicated, right? It's not that Biden voted for, you know, and, and him, he himself, like, it's a lot of things that have been working at play for like 40, 50 years, but it did like the rose getting overturned specifically was one of those moments where it's like, fuck, like, I don't like, again, we, 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 we pulled, we called, like I worked the polls. I did all this. I phoned, you know, and like, Shit, like bad shit can still happen. And it was, it, it it just hit like in a way that was a lot. <laughs> yeah. And like, I don't feel like the Biden administration's initial response to what happened there or honestly continued response to what happened mm. there has really been strong enough. I think that, I mean, it took a couple days for them to like, like Biden should have been out there immediately the moment yeah. that that happened speaking on it. And I remember it was like 
took they two waited weeks. they yeah. waited so that Kamala could do it and I'm like why not both ands like we can yeah. have Kamala come do like what he should be out here speaking about this and I do remember just this feeling like I mean number one of just like truly feeling so sad that that had finally taken place even though we knew it was coming it was real it was really sad and then yeah that feeling that Millie had of being like damn, we still really have people in power who don't quite get it. And like the president is still kind of an old man who maybe like doesn't fully understand the gravity of the situation. And it's like, obviously, I think Joe Biden is a better president for abortion rights than any alternative being presented by the other party. But I would have... Yeah, I don't know. I guess in an ideal world, he would have been like, I'm going to try to pack the court. I support change. I support reforms to the Supreme Court. Pull some really, there are levers you can pull that maybe immediately get challenged by the Supreme Court, but why not try them for a minute? I just think, I just think like to adhere to norms as strictly as Joe Biden does and to be as like kind of cautious as he is with so much stuff when we're in the face of like a Supreme court that's overturning rights, people who don't believe that you're even really the president. Like, I just think it is this constant, like he doesn't fully meet the gravity of the situation. And I think I felt that really acutely and who continued to feel it on the issue of Roe. I think that's what makes people, including me, probably including you guys as well, as really anxious about another Trump-Biden matchup because we no longer have the ignorance of thinking that everything's going to be solved. You know, abortion's exactly. not going to be a problem. Student loans aren't going to be a problem. The Trump impact, it's its a couple of things. It's the administration's like unwillingness to really, um, you know, pull all those levers, like Elise said, and like mm-hmm. just, just be who they promised to be and just like the damage that Trump did. Um and those are the things that make me a super itchy and nervy for the 2024 election. I suspect you too, at least. <laughs> that's yeah. why. Yes. <sighs> yeah. That's why I I am looking forward to observing, like truly being an observer this election. Obviously, I will still do things like we talked about, phone banking, trying to get out the vote, mm-hmm. participating in the ways that like civilians can participate. That's something that... I've done before the podcast and will continue to do, but there is a relief for me of not having to necessarily follow the, the blow by blow of everything because it was really stressful the last time. And these elections with Trump in them are so fucking toxic. Yeah. Like I'm not saying Ron DeSantis would not be a toxic character, but he really brings a level of like mud and dirt to these elections that it it's it sucks it sucks yeah and all right i have a few other areas of reflection for us you know we we roast politicians but we've also welcomed a lot of them on the show i'm wondering like how has being a host of the show influenced how you view politicians millie you've said a few times that like they can be disarmingly charming in person. And also you've you've sort of alluded to the fact of like recognizing all of their calculations as you kind of like offer critiques. But 
Um, in addition to that, like how has kind of interfacing with with the people making these decisions? We have we've had the opportunity, especially when there are elections, to talk to you know senators multiple times, people in the administration multiple times, people influencing the administration. How has that kind of informed your view of how these things, you know, how governing actually works, or like how people kind of behave as politicians? Well, I think that a good, I think that it has like muddled it up, and I think like like society gen generally has this distrust of politicians and all this stuff and like career politicians and this and that. And I think in interacting with more of them, to me, it really showed like that the skill set and the soft skills that you need, like that has integrity and will stand up for it, like stay consistent to it. Like that's what we're looking for. Not somebody who's like, like Everybody who's a career politician is bad. Like the, I don't subscribe to that. And I also, again, have being exposed to so many have really found that there is a skill set that you need. There is a charisma of like communicating effectively, saying what you mean, being able to 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 make the points and the things that you are advocating for and to show like what you have done, you know, in a certain period of time, like that has like really stuck with me. And it's like, yeah, like some people have it. I mean, it's the same thing as like being a comedian or even like good priest or preacher. It's just like that little it factor of like, oh, this person has it. And when I'm with them face to face or speaking with them, I feel like they hear me, they're listening to me, they're doing their best to relate to me. And also like, yeah, like find that relatability. So I, I just guess like that has influenced my view. Obviously, you don't want someone who's like, so like doesn't say anything or doesn't make a point or is just saying shit to like placate. But I do think that like, yeah, you need a fucking skill. And it is like half of the job is being able to convince and whip votes and all that stuff. And like being somebody, you know, again, like it's kind of similar to comedy where it's like, sure, you can be a good stand-up and not whatever. But like, if you want to like write on a TV show or act in something, you need to be like good in a room and like be people want to fucking work with you. Yeah. There's a reason so. the politicians on the media circuit are on, are on the media circuit. How about you, Elise? You've also done it with, you know, tuning out the news as well. Yeah. Um, in both of those cases, I feel like um, similar to what Millie was saying, it you you see when you talk to some of these people who are real like heavy hitters in the political sphere, you see why when you talk to them. They are very shiny. They are very like they are very smart. You can tell um, most of the time. Some Always of them a firm are ass handshake. <laughs> tall and handsome in person, a la Joe Manchin. Uh-huh. <laughs> but you, you do, you, you do get dazzled by them. <laughs> you do get dazzled by them. I mean, I remember very specifically um, Julian Castro specifically. Yes. We talked to here and we talked to on Tuning Out the News and he over Zoom was mm-hmm. extremely disarmingly charming in mm-hmm. a way that I don't even think necessarily came across in those debates and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like he never really, I feel like shown as a candidate like that. And then when I did these like one-on-one interviews with him, I was like, this is why people thought he could be president. And why because, retail politics works. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh shit. And I mean, the other thing is like, 
it's been really cool to interview these like big major players, but I feel like we've also talked to kind of like less famous reps and people who are involved that have really made me feel like, okay, there are people who are, are here for the right reasons it, to yeah. use bachelorette phrasing. Re- uh, Jasmine Crockett, the representative from Texas, mm-hmm. I am now like, I follow her all the time. I think that she's going to be like a really big deal in general, but I just remember like really feeling inspired by her and inspired by the fact that, you know, she's out here day after day in Congress speaking truth to power in Texas where, you know, she's not necessarily always going to have her voice heard, but she's there and she's doing it. And there are people in our government right now that we can look to who are genuine problem solvers and who are on, who do understand the full gravity of the problems as we understand them. It's not like Joe Biden where you're like, okay, this is a guy who sort of gets it, but also just doesn't. There Mm -hmm. are like the people who really get it are there as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you can even see that like, We've actually never really worked. I've never booked anyone who's been very difficult. But, you know, some people will demand to see. They'll be like, they're not showing up unless you send me the questions by the letter that you're going to ask them. But then it's always the ones that are the best interviews and the people that most affected politicians that are are like, they're open. They'll talk about what you want to talk about. Like, they know we're the Betches Up podcast. We're friendly to them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, like, and then you can really tell the difference, the people that are that are really earnestly just engaged and they're like no nothing's off the table like we're just having a we're just having a chat here who have been some of your other favorite guests oh i mean i loved our conversation with kirsten Gillibrand. i thought it was really cool like um obviously love korean jean pierre and i'm like yeah i have to get married because i do I want her to officiate and you know i'm just never ever gonna forget miss pat roasting you <laughs> <laughs> for <laughs> morning <laughs> and you know this people is- message me about that all oh my god people message me about that all the time i also have to tell you guys something after we sign off yeah. <laughs> um yeah, those are top interviews for me too. Getting to talk to Alana Glazer the way that oh, we yeah. did and Glennis Meager about just like that was just such a really like in-depth and thoughtful, great conversation. That um, I really think only could have been had here in the setting that we created. And I feel like that's oh, what yeah. felt yeah. so good about it is that like we all had a feeling she's very famous. So like yeah. I think we all knew that she's obviously very nice and funny. But I tend to like when working with celebrities, like everybody has bad days. And you can tell when you've got somebody that's just not in a good mood. They're not being mean. It's happened on our podcast before with random people. It, it's just not going to be the best interview. And I was, I was so nervous for that one. And the fact that it was like as good as I could have possibly imagined. Like we could have chatted all day. We had so much fun just chatting after that was mm-hmm. probably one of the that was definitely also like my most one of my most rewarding days. Yeah, that was just a really fun one. And then honestly, I'm glad that we got both booty judges on here. Yeah. We got the whole we got both. They we feel got, like they're uh, part of Pete the fam. And and, Which sounds um, crazy to say. Pete is really, very easy to talk to. Yeah, no. And he's another one. And he's like, good to see you again whenever he sees us. Yeah. Yes. He's another one where it's like, yeah, no, I know yeah. why the fuck people like you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You, he is, you can tell when you're talking to him how smart he is. 
mm-hmm. and then I just really thought Chaston was really nice and I mm-hmm. really enjoyed just talking to him like on the level and so it was kind of nice to be able to like talk to both halves yeah. of the couple but um Pete is definitely one of the ones who sticks out to me where you're like that's a fucking professional and mm-hmm. we talked to him um one of the because we've talked to him twice I think three right? like, yeah three times yeah I've talked to him at least once <laughs> talk to him every day <laughs> yeah oh, Pete um but one of the times we talked to him was right before the election and I just remember like yes. the degree to which he was on message like camera ready went did the interview and I knew that he had done like three hits before us and was going to do three hits after us and just boom 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 was doing them I was like that Mm-hmm. is that's the job yeah, that's yeah. The and these job. politicians especially like the ones that millie was talking about the ones that are big and they're very professional and they're very skilled at it they also like you can see them setting boundaries and that's why they're able to perform like that like we've interacted with people that are like or their staff are like she just needs a minute he just needs a minute and then we'll sort of not see, and then they're like totally there and vibrant and it's kind of like made me remember it's like super high achieving people if you want to be high achieving and you want to get a lot done like you have to set boundaries mm-hmm. and that's fine as long as you're respectful and engaged as hell when you are like showing up for the moment and um that's that's a positive message i've i've learned uh, yeah from politicians well and in that like little hippy dippy retreat i went to in new mexico a, a thing that I took away was like the the most compassionate leaders and the most effective leaders have strong boundaries, just like you said. So it's like, they're like, I'm not going to do this. And it's just like, okay, you got to have boundaries. You know what I mean? And I, same, like I just took a lot from that of like, this is what's going to get me performing to the best of my ability. Yeah. And my other, my favorite person in Congress to have on this podcast, I do have to say, is Tammy Duckworth. Her team mm. is awesome to work with. I think she's also come on three times. She's the she's one of those where her team is like, obviously, they're making sure we're all prepared. But it's like, of course, she'll talk about that issue. Of course, she'll talk about it. She's not trying to like, some some people, even though it's good interviews, every interview you do, they're trying to get elected to something, even if they they don't have a race coming up. And also, of course, I loved Ari Shapiro. That was one of my favorites. Yeah. That was such a fun one, right? Oh, that was fun. All right. Last last question what has been your have have you had any unpopular opinions or like even if it's not the opinion like ha, what has prompted the most dms and after an episode in a positive or negative way let's make a positive or negative i have a feeling positive is more common the most positive dms i got was when we talked about the aliens i have never <laughs> no. gotten more dms than when we did a whole episode on aliens in my entire time on what? stuff I guess our new show maybe should be focused on aliens. <laughs> I truly got so many messages about the aliens. That's so funny. Um, I remember uh, like maybe in 2020 at some point. Um, oh, right at the beginning. Yeah. I shared about my student loan issues and how much I owed and like was very transparent in a way that like, which I can say, I mean, private student loans at the time I had just come, um, I had just come to terms with like, I have paid, I have paid like, I'm going to be paying like about $55,000 for $20,000 of private loans that I took out. And that money was not going to go down and all this stuff. Um, and I was just having like a very like, um, transparent conversation of like, you know, in that moment, you know, I was just sharing on the podcast. I say shit all the time. I don't know if this happens with you guys. Like 
I don't remember things I did. Like I just, we're just talking, right. and then yeah. when, we, when we walk out, I'm like, okay, cool. Like, yeah. Obviously, I will never forget that you were sexually attracted to Joe Manchin. Of course, obviously, but, no, um, nobody has. Nobody has. <laughs> but, um, Mr. Serial Girl Mike, um, <laughs> not sexually, affectionately. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh-huh, sure. Um, <laughs> no, but I that was some that was a thing where it's like I was dealing with that and processing like the anger of coming to terms with like, holy shit, this thing that I signed when I was 18 is like completely fucked up my life and fucked up my family relationships. And I was just very honest about that. And like, whatever, you know, but the amount of DMs I got and the amount of people reaching out and saying like that they felt immense shame around their student loans and all of that. And like really thanking me for sharing like that really like solidified, you know, the joy that I got, but also just, you know, that by design, like people will make you feel shame for things that just aren't your fault. And like the system is fucked up and set up that way. So, but yeah, that was one of the times that, um, I got. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely have gotten them when it's like, I've been like, Ooh, should I have shared that? And then I'm always validated because there will be a few messages like, thank you. I've been feeling that too. I didn't know anyone else felt that way. Yeah. And I feel like this is a big one, but when I shared about my abortion, I was so Mm. grateful to have the space to do that on this podcast, like to have a place where I could talk about that. And people, the sub listeners were so, so, so uh, wonderful and have continued to be wonderful about that. And it was just like, I felt so, um, grateful to have a place to do that and to have so many like supportive ears to hear what I had to say about that. Yeah. It says a lot about our listeners that you felt safe enough in the space to do that. You're all very compassionate. I know that because uh, the most DMs I've ever received is when Miss Pat made fun of Morty. (laughs) (laughs) If you you, you don't know this reference, we had a very funny comedian on Miss Pat. She's very popular. And she was just kind of roasting me for having a severely disabled dog. And she was just like, only only white people do that. Like Morty's pretty disabled. And people were like, is he okay? I really support your your journey with Morty. Morty's fine. Morty's very spoiled. He's lived much longer than we expected. I will be... TikTok followers, and he don't even know what TikTok is. No, he, so, he's, uh, he is doing fine. Yeah. Okay, ladies, here we are. That is that is the end of our show. That is Millie and Elise's time with us. You know this this podcast. Is there anything? Are there anything else you want to say before we part? Yeah. the The last thing I want to say is, you know, again, I just have so much gratitude for everyone who has listened, for everyone who has read the newsletter, for um letting me give my opinions here in this like really generous space for letting me um, grow in my opinions, sometimes Mm -hmm. change my opinions. I feel like the, our listeners have given us an incredible amount of grace as well. And um, if you want to keep up with me, you can follow me on Instagram. I'm at Pandalise. That's P-A-N-D-A-L-I-S-E. I'm on TikTok at Elise Navidad, uh, A-L-I-S-E, and then Navidad. And um, I do, I am going to end on a plug. I have live shows coming up. If you are based in New York and you want to see me live and reminisce about the show in person, 
I am doing my solo show October 21st with Millie opening. And that's a perfect opportunity on a Saturday. It's 3 p.m. on a Saturday. It's at Under St. Mark's, which is a really small, cute, intimate venue. Um, So I'm doing that October 21st at 3 p.m. at Under St. Mark's. I'm doing it again October 25th at 9.45 p.m. at Under St. Mark's. And I am bringing back my live show, The Roast of Your Teenage Self, in New York Comedy Festival on November 11th at 9.30 p.m. at Littlefield in Brooklyn. I would love to see SUP people at all of those events. I'll give you a big hug there. And if you follow me on socials, you can find all those links and see what fun stuff I've got coming up next. Can't wait. Can't wait. Yeah, I just want to say, you know, again, like, I also have so much appreciation to this show um, to be able, again, to like, you know, share my opinions. You know, I was just always brought up like I was always punished for talking too much and like always been put in situations where my opinions weren't really valued or celebrated or even thought like or even put in situations where people assumed I was not intelligent or like didn't have anything to say. And like, especially doing comedy too. Like, so I just really appreciate the space to like be able to work at the top of my intelligence, like talk about these complicated oh boy, issues. Have we made you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, um, um, talk, yeah. Like talk to the top of my intelligence, share like my nuanced opinions about things, share what's going on and what's important to me, you know, and like grow as a, as a podcaster, as a creator, Um, and also like this relationship I have with Amanda and Elise, like I value it so much where we're able to share memes and, and (laughs) stupid TikToks about people praying to Donald Trump. And I just have (laughs) immense gratitude and I've grown so much. The group chat will be strong. The group chat is still happening and it's not going anywhere, but, um, I'm just so excited for what's to come and please like, let's stay in touch. I have also exciting things like coming up, um, nothing to directly plug right now, but just like, please keep in touch. I love you guys so much. I loved my time at the show. I loved everyone at Betches and, um, I'm looking forward to what's coming in the future. Beautiful. Thank you both. You've taught us so much. This podcast will be back before you know it, which is why I'm still going to end the show by saying, until the end of democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. I'm Millie Tamaris. And this is the Betches Up Podcast. Bye. The Betches Up Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Rebecca Sousmacat. Editing by Rebecca Sousmacat. Social media by Amanda Duberman and Bridget Swartz. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails at SUPPod at Betches.com. Betches.